So I had one sermon planned for today, and we'll probably do that next week or maybe in a couple weeks. But yesterday I was going through a bunch of my different news apps. I've got BBC, Fox News, and a couple other news sources. Of course, we've got friends from all around the world on, on Facebook, and so we oftentimes end up seeing news sooner than gets reported. And as I was looking through it, there was all these different stories, you know, uh, pretty much our economy dominating a majority of the stories. Government slimmed down, government shut down, Republican this, Democrat that, health care, budget cuts, debt ceilings, monuments and parks closed, monuments and parks open, seem to be dominating all of the stories and the headlines. And within each of these stories, words like fear and anger, frustration, disillusionment, resolve, determination, stalemate, gridlock, uncertainty, were in almost every single article. The words fiscal, money, spending, finance, debt, surplus, reoccur over and over again. And as I'm about to like, eh, kind of flip through, there was a headline that caught my attention. I lived, of course, on the Mediterranean for two and a half years, so this, this headline grabbed me. And as I read this article, God began to speak, and I believe it was for us this morning, but I came across this headline on the BBC. It said, Mediterranean Cemetery. Cemetery in quotation, being a part of a quote from the Maltese Prime Minister, Mr. Muscat. And then it read, on Saturday, rescuers pulled another 20 bodies from the sea, rising the toll from that shipwreck to 359. 359 souls lost in one singular shipwreck. And then I read this part through the article. One couple who had survived the journey with their nine-month-old daughter said they had spent an hour in the water. The husband had held the child to his chest to keep her alive, but he had been unable to help his son who had drowned in front of them. Having a daughter and my son, myself, I began to weep and I began to cry. And I could see in my mind, I could see this father, you know, I've swam in those waters. I could see him floating on his back in this water, breathing in as deep as he can to try to keep the, the infant's face out of the water. And I can't imagine the pain and the turmoil of, of losing one's son like that in front of you. And in that moment, I just was weeping, and I, I just felt overwhelmed. I felt God say, how blessed are you? And I knew this was not just for me, but that this was maybe something for all of us this morning. It's so easy for us to get overwhelmed with the headlines and the, the seeming difficulties of our time and our culture and our, our own communities. And it's easy for us to lose sight of, you know, we think everything that's taking place is a, a really big deal, and in some ways it is. But in comparison to that, there are millions and millions of people risking their lives to escape war, to escape famine, to escape oppression. That there are millions and millions of people risking their lives for nothing promised to them. 
but simply for an opportunity. Simply for an opportunity to taste but a portion of the blessings that we possess. People are risking their lives for a taste, a small portion of what we have. And I don't want to, this to be a, a sermon where we, it's not intended to bring guilt upon ourselves. See, God has blessed us. It's a reality. And it's not something for us to beat our, ourselves up with. There's misfortune, there's pain, there's suffering in this world. That is a reality. But I believe that we sometimes become unaware of just how blessed we truly are in our lives. And we are not to feel guilty about the blessings and the opportunities that, that we have in our lives. But, but God forgive us if we ever stop being thankful, if we ever stop realizing the fullest extent in which we are blessed. God forgive us if we waste the opportunities and the freedoms that we've been given. There are people dying. There are people crossing oceans and seas with their children and everything they own, leaving sometimes everything behind, forsaking everything for an opportunity to experience freedom, to experience a chance to be able to breathe and to pursue the dreams that they have and that maybe God has put upon their hearts. majority of those uh, refugees from Syria and Palestine, we have no idea what it is to wake up on a daily basis with, with gunfire and with having perhaps a third of our family members gone due to violence of war. So I want us this morning to, yes, when we see these things, to pray and we need to intercede for these things. But also when we see these things, to come to an understanding of how blessed we really are. Sometimes we, we think, man, it's just, it's rough. I don't have a nickel to my name. I, you know, look at the economy and I, I can't figure out this insurance thing. It's, everyone else is confused and we get so caught up and I'm not saying these things aren't important, but in a lot of ways they're not. James chapter 1, verse 17, whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. James reminding the church that we are to be continually thankful that the things in our life, the good things in our life, we all have, if we are following Christ, we have wonderful, amazing things in our life. And when we lose sight of the blessings that we have in our lives, we begin to lose sight of how good God is. When we, God is the giver of all good things, when we begin to not realize the extent of the, the goodness that is in our lives, when we lose sight of this, we lose sight of how good God is. When we lose sight of the blessings we have in our lives, we begin to become blinded to opportunities that God has put directly in front of us. And we begin to fixate instead on what we don't have and the perceived impossibilities. This happens so often when our, our throughout history in our government or when our culture goes through difficult situations. We begin to fixate on those situations and we begin to fixate on the uncertainties and we miss the opportunities that we have in these moments to be the body of Christ and to do what God has 
called us to do and to see his miracles lived out in our lives. The Israelites, led by Moses out of captivity, they traveled into the wilderness. It's a huge blessing to be, to be led out of captivity. They traveled into the wilderness. They were traveling towards the land God had promised them. They'd spent over 400 years as slaves in a foreign land, and God had freed them and said, here's a promise that I'm, I'm sending you towards. And God performed amazing miracles to, to bring them to this point, to bring them out of slavery and despair and, and forwards toward blessings. And God was even providing for them miraculously food in the desert. They're in a wilderness. They're in a desert. There's not a lot there. They weren't going to survive in what existed in the desert. So God miraculously provided for them. It was a small-sized substance that they could gather, where it says it looked like the size of a mustard seed, and it was yellowish, and they would collect it, and they would grind it, and they would make bread out of it. And it tasted like flatbread cooked in olive oil, and I've had that before. That's delicious. But the amazing thing is, with all these miracles, with God providing miraculously food for them right there in the desert, like us, all of a sudden they begin to take it all for granted, and they begin to complain. Now, maybe none of you have ever done that. Maybe it's just me. But we're going to look at Numbers chapter 11. And we're going to, it's a long chapter. I encourage you to read through the whole thing. We're going to hit different parts of it that tell the whole story. Starting at Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. Soon, the people began to complain about their hardship. Now, we just said, they just, you know, they just saw an entire Egyptian army destroyed. God's leading them with the cloud and fire. He's providing food for them. They're no longer slaves. They're no longer facing having their firstborn children killed. And yet, verse 1, Soon the people began to complain about their hardship, and the Lord heard everything they said. God's got big ears. Then the Lord's anger blazed against them, and he sent a fire to rage among them, and he destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people screamed to Moses for help and When he prayed to the Lord, the fire stopped. After that, the area was known as Tabera, which means the place of burning, because fire from the Lord had burned among them there. The foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt, and we had all the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic we wanted, but now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. They began to, in a way, almost curse and be disgusted with the blessing that God had given them. So there are a couple things just laying right on the surface of this passage, right on the surface of this story. There's a lot we can get into, but there's a couple things particular we're going to draw out of these. And this passage we just read, one of them being, God does not like whining. God does not like, I should maybe rephrase this, God definitely does not like ungrateful whining and complaining. You know, there's a difference between what we see in the Psalms with David going to the Lord and taking his worries to him and saying, crying out to God. 
You know, he was talking to God. Last week, Kevin was here, and Kevin talked about taking our worries and our concerns and flipping them around into prayers and taking them to God. They weren't taking anything to God. They were just complaining and being ungrateful. They were even complaining about a miracle and a blessing that they had received that was sustaining them. Second thing, they let themselves be influenced by the voices of the world, by the headlines of this world, so to speak. We see where it talks about the, the foreign rabble. There was a group of people. It wasn't just the Israelites that left, but as they're leaving, there's a group in Egypt saying, you know what, hey, uh, this train looks pretty cool. You know, their guy's doing some pretty neat miracles. We're going to go with these guys. And so they travel. They wanted to leave Egypt. They wanted to get out of Dodge, so to speak, and pursue opportunities as well. These voices had no understanding of what they were traveling towards. These voices didn't understand the blessings that had been promised and what they were traveling to. They began to fixate and to think about what had been left behind. This group most likely hadn't endured losing their, their children when Pharaoh had sent out to have all the firstborn of the Israelites destroyed. They perhaps weren't living under that heavy of a strain and a burden. The world around us, likewise, doesn't understand the realities of the slavery of death and sin that this world is under. They don't understand what we are leaving behind when we choose to surrender and follow Christ. The world around doesn't see and understand the hope and the blessings we are promised. Instead, all they see are the things of, of Egypt, the, the decadence and the, the luxuries and the, the ease that was there for them. And they don't realize, because they've been blinded to the, the slavery that they were kept in. Verse 6, our appetites are gone. Their ungratefulness and their fixations on the food of Egypt replaced a hunger for that which God had given them. It's like God gives us a dream sometimes. He gives us a vision of something that he wants us to do in our lives or something he's calling us to. He has to put a hunger in us to be more like him or to forsake ourselves, to be less selfish. But then the headlines of this world, the things of Egypt, so to speak, they began to filter into our minds and we began to instead get a hunger for the things of this world rather than a hunger for the, the blessings and the visions and the dreams that God is calling us to. And over time, we began to then lose our appetite for the things of God. We began to lose our appetite for chasing after Him. We began to lose our appetite for seeing His will lived out in our lives. We lose that appetite for following and chasing after that blessing and that hope. Things of this world can kill the hunger for the things of God. God's not the only one upset in this story. Moses is really stressing at this point. He's really concerned here. How is he going to lead this people? He's got this massive, he's got an entire nation of people. And he's leading them out and how is he going to lead them? They, they won't even stay focused on where they're supposed to be going. How do you lead a group forward when they lose sight of who they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to be moving towards? 
and how they're going to get there. Verse 10. Moses is freaking out here. Verse 10. Moses heard all the family standing in the doorways of their tents, and they were whining, and the Lord became extremely angry. Moses was also very aggravated. And Moses said to the Lord, Why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land you swore to give their ancestors? Then Moses continues on in the scriptures to vent to God and and he begins to say, you know, where am I going to get meat for these people? He sees that they're so fixated, the only way they're going to stop complaining is for them to get what they're yelling and whining for. And so God leads Moses to appoint 70 leaders or elders to let the people know that God is going to give them meat. And where it says God took a portion of the, the, the anointing and the spirit that was upon Moses and gave it to them to go and to speak to the people in authority. Verse 18, and say to the people, Purify yourselves, for tomorrow you will have meat to eat. You were whining, and the Lord heard you when you cried. Oh, for some meat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will have to eat it. I love that. And you will have to eat it. And it won't be for just a day or two, or for five, or ten, or even twenty. You will eat for a whole month until you gag and are sick of it. For you have rejected the Lord who is here among you, and you have whined to him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? So one of the lessons lying right at the surface of this part right here is be careful what you wish for. Because as the Chris Daughtry song says, be careful what you wish for. Because you just might get it all and more. Moses, again, unlike his people, he takes this moment of, of freaking out to God and he goes to him, he says, you know, how, how are you going to do this? You know, how are you going to fulfill this? You know, there's, it would take multiple herds and herds upon herds to, to do this. You know, we're in the desert, God. Again, Moses isn't necessarily complaining, but he's, he's openly dialoguing with God saying, God, How are you going to do this? Moses sends out the 70 with God's spirit, goes with them. Now, it was interesting. This is just a little side blip in here that something kind of neat to see that happens. The Holy Spirit goes out with the 70, but the the spirit of God kind of remains with two of these 70. And they continue to speak God's words to the people. Verse 26. Two men, Ildad and Medad, had stayed behind in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but they had gone out to the tabernacle. Yet the Spirit rested upon them as well, so they prophesied there in the camp. A young man reported to Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' assistant since his youth, protested, Moses, my master, make them stop. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? You know, they thought, you know, you're, you're Moses. You're the only one that has a right to speak 
on behalf of God. You know, you go, you talk to God, you come back and tell us what God said. These guys, you know, this isn't right. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them all. Then Moses returned to the camp with the elders of Israel. This little side story gives us a great little insight into the purpose that God really had for those people and that he has for us. That God wants his people to listen to him. God wants his people to be filled. If you remember, God had invited all of them to go up the mountain to his presence. Moses got that. Moses realized that it was God's intent that all of his children should hear his voice and be able to proclaim who he is and what he desires for them to those around them. And of course, we see in the New Testament, God has promised to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And we see in Acts and we see the, the church and the body of Christ, God pour his spirit into his church. And today we still see God's giftings and workings of the Holy Spirit working in the church today. A little lesson there is that God desires for us to listen to him, not to the voices and the headlines of this world. And he wants us to repeat his words, his blessings, and not the fear and the worries of this world. Moses was saying, if only you could experience and listen to God's spirit, then you all wouldn't be confused. And instead of listening to the voices of this world, you would come back to the reality of God's promise. Verse 31, here's how God provides. Now the Lord sent a wind that brought quail from the sea and left them and let them fall all around the camp. So you have this huge storm. It picks up all these quail from somewhere else, brings them, and just litters the ground everywhere. For miles, going on 31, for miles in every direction, there were quail flying about three feet above the ground. So the people went out and caught quail all that day and throughout the night and all the next day too. No one gathered less than 50 bushels. They spread the quail. Now, a lot of people don't use bushels anymore. Think of a basket, yay big, and about that big around bushel of apples. That's, that's a lot of, lot of dead birds. Our cat only brings one or two at a time to our yard. So the people went out, so they, they catch it, verse 33. Oh, I'm sorry, we'll finish that. So they gathered 50 bushels. They spread the quail all around the camp to dry. So they've dressed the quail. They're, they're trying to dry them, to preserve them, verse 33. But while they were gorging themselves on the meat, while it was still in their mouths, the anger of the Lord blazed against the people. And he struck them with a severe plague. So that the place was called Kibroth Hatava which means graves of gluttony. Because there they buried the people who had craved meat from Egypt. From Kibrath Hatava, the Israelites traveled to Hezoroth, where they stayed for some time. So all this quail comes in. And kind of like in our own lives, sometimes we will receive an overwhelming blessing. Or a blessing will come rolling in. Or sometimes we... We tell God, you know, God, I really need this. I really need this to happen. And God's like, are you sure? Yeah, God, I really need this. I really need this to happen. And it happens. 
He answers the prayer for whatever reason. And then, as we see in the story, we see them immediately, they're going out, they're gathering. They're going about, they're preparing everything, and as soon as everything's ready, they're just gorging themselves. We don't see any thanks. We don't see any, you know, giving blessing to God and thanking God for what he provided. There was this arrogant sense of entitlement. And they just began to gorge themselves and not giving thanks, no appreciation. They just ignored God and began to stuff their own gluttonous appetites. And the same thing sometimes happens in our own lives when we become dissatisfied with what God has given us and has called us to, with the vision that he has given us. And it is not because God has given or called us to anything less than we deserve or need, but because we have allowed ourselves to hunger for the things of this world. And the things of this world, relationships, sex, money, security, achievement, status, these hungers can never be satisfied. These hungers can never be filled. And an attempt to do so often leads to hopelessness and death. They thought that they were going to be satisfied with the things of the world, with the things of Egypt. They thought this quail was going to fix everything, not realizing that the reality was they had lost their hunger for God. They had lost their hunger for the things that he was calling them to, for the promise he had called them to, to make them a great nation. There was this great, huge, amazing promise that laid before them, yet they allowed these small, unsatisfiable hungers of the world to distract them from God's purpose for their lives. I myself went through that. As you know, I served as missionaries in Tunisia, North Africa for two and a half years. And when those doors and opportunities closed and God began to push us towards something different and, and lead us into uh, pastoring, which led us here, there was a part of me that was not satisfied with that. I was kind of like the Israelites. I had gone through a bit of a wilderness traveling to where God was calling me to go. And so I was kind of in a, a wilderness of my life. And I began to think, of, and I began to get frustrated with, you know, I had to raise all this money to get there. And now that's, you know, that's done. And, you know, I don't have a job. And, you know, I'm going to become a pastor now. Yeah, there's a lot of money in that. You know, go, go start a church with 12, 15 people. That's, that sounds like a great plan, God. I began grumbling and complaining a little bit. And I'd always been an adventurous person. And in, when I was younger, I'd always had grandiose dreams of, of being a, a special forces and jumping out of airplanes and blowing things up. And, you know, now I've got some international cross-cultural experiences under my belt. I can speak a little bit of Arabic. And, you know, there's a lot of jobs out there that pay good money for people that want to travel to parts of the world that other people don't want to go to. And do things that other people don't want to do. And I began grumbling, and I began thinking about the things of Egypt a little bit, thinking about how much easier it would be just to, to you know, take a job with the FBI or something and try to, you know, get paid great sums of money to have, you know, adventure and, and fame and, you know, be, oh, I could be James Bond or something. Maybe this was a delusion on my part. I don't know. But that's, that's how I was thinking. And God had to remind me of the hunger he first gave me when he called me to the ministry. 
a hunger to see the body of Christ come to the realization of who they are and the potential that they have in Christ. And he began to remind me of the potential that I was even yet to see and I still don't know, we don't always know. And the opportunity and the the blessings and the the words that God had spoken to me through different people saying that God had an adventure and and a plan that would surpass anything I could think of or imagine. And the same exists for each and every one of us. The same thing existed for the Israelites. God had a plan and a purpose for them that would go beyond what they could even comprehend at that time. And sometimes we have to go through a bit of a wilderness to get there. Sometimes we have to go without the, the meat, the things of the world, so to speak, the pleasures of the world to get there. There's simple thing I think would have really helped the Israelites early on. Later in the Psalms, you read in Psalms chapter 107. So homework for this week, I want you to read all of Psalms 107, either today or tomorrow. I want you to read this. If you need to, print it out, put it in the visor of your car, put it in your purse, put it, fold it, put it in your wallet. If you wear a hat, you know, you can put it in your hat. But make sure you read it. Because Psalm 107 captures the heart of thanksgiving and understanding and recognizing the blessings we have in God. Psalm 107. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. You imagine with the Israelites when they were going through their first stages and they were, you know, they just went through these incredible miracles. And they're beginning to Remember, oh, but you know, it seemed like it was easier. You know, we seemed to have these things. The enemy was lying to them. What if they had stopped in those moments when they began to complain to one another about the life God was bringing them to? What if instead they had stopped and they said, you know what? Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful loves endures forever. Someone who is in love with you, someone who is faithful gives you all that they have, gives you the best. That would have reminded them that there was something more precious, something more beautiful to come. Verse 2 Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out, tell others he has redeemed you from your enemies. What if instead of re- thinking about what they didn't have, but they began to, to confess and say, Hey, you know what? Let's not talk about what's in the headlines right now. Let's not worry and complain about what we see going on around us. You remember what God just did? You remember how God saved us? And for us, you remember how several months ago my mind was so far from God? You remember how several years ago I was completely lost and was about to kill myself? But God brought me through it. He saved me. Remember how God loved us so much that even though we didn't deserve it, he died on the cross for us. If we remind ourselves of these things, if we speak them out, speak those blessings. Three, for he has gathered the exiles from many lands, from east and west, from north and south. There's a reference to the Israelites. Some wandered in the wilderness, lost and homeless, hungry and thirsty. They nearly died. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble, and he rescued them 
from their distress. Some of you read that and say, that sounds like a beautiful image of my life. He led them, verse 7, he led them straight to safety, to a city where they could live. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. What are we thirsty for? What are we hungry for? It's his water. It's his life. It's his spirit that quenches the thirst inside of us. It's his word. It's his body. It's being a part of his work and his church that feeds us and fills us. It is Christ who fills us. And then jumping to verse 27, they reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wits end. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He calmed the storm to a whisper and stilled the waves. What a blessing was that stillness as he brought them safely into harbor. What if instead of complaining, they retold the peace that God brought to their lives? What if we retell and contemplate, meditate on the peace that God has brought to us? Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. Let them exalt him publicly before the congregation and before the leaders of the nation. Imagine the body of Christ with everything that's going on around us, everything that's going on in the world. And the world's in uncertainty and people are worrying about how they're going to maintain their, their cost of living so that they can keep their cable. What if the body of Christ, rather than joining with those voices, rather than complaining, rather than responding in fear and apprehension, said, remember what God did. Remember what God has promised. We have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to trust in a God who loves us, whose love endures forever. We have an opportunity to see God move, to see miracles. They weren't thinking about God working in their lives and revealing to the nations around them who he was and what he was wanting to do. Oftentimes we forget that how we live our lives and, and how we speak God's word to those around us, that it influences the world around us. So what if in front of our nation, what if in front of our family and friends, rather than complaining, we said, you know what? We've got it good. I'm not concerned because my God brought me through last time and he's bringing me through again. My God performed miracles in my life and he's going to perform miracles again. And you can join me. God can do miracles in your life. But would you join me in hungering and thirsting for what he's wanting to give us? So I want us to read the psalm this week to look at the beautiful imagery of the psalm and let the Holy Spirit kind of reveal the parallels within our own lives and bring to mind the blessings of our lives and the things that we have to be thankful for. Because if we fail to see, appreciate, and be thankful for the blessings in our lives, we won't be able to keep sight of the blessings and the promises God is leading us towards. So I just challenge us this morning, let's hunger for God. Let's hunger for what He has for us rather than the things of this world and let us not be silent 
Let us speak those blessings. Let us remind ourselves, remind the world, and tell the world about what we have in Christ and not allow ourselves to complain and to join the world in its complaining and whining. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, we just thank you for the incredible blessings that you have given us in our lives. Lord, oftentimes the blessings that we don't even recognize. Lord, may we not scoff and become ungrateful and even have a disdain for the blessings you've given us. Father, may we learn to appreciate, learn to keep sight on your blessings and what you're moving us towards. Lord, may we not allow the blessings that you're leading us toward to be robbed by the selfish hungers of this world. Lord, may we speak your blessings. May we live in thanksgiving. And may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.